we will get started right away. So I want to welcome our audience to today's uh, webinar, a conversation with four futurists. I want to wish you a good evening from Dubai, good afternoon, Europe, and good morning, America. So my name is Sharad Agarwal. I'm based in Dubai for the last 33 years, and this is home for me. I started the first digital agency in the Middle East back in 1996. <coughs> so I have spent almost 27 years in the digital space and launched onlywebinars.com when COVID hit because I saw the need for having conversations uh, you know, across the globe. And uh, happy to report that in the last two years or so, we've done almost 70 webinars and we've covered all topics, largely technology, where we've talked about Web3, we've talked about NFTs, DAOs, tokenization, community building. And now because it's almost end of the year, I thought it's a good time to start looking into the future. And what are, what can be better than having four futurists? We don't have one or two or three, we have four futurists in the room. So I'm very excited and I hope all of you are as well. Just a note for the audience, uh, do let us know which part of the world you are coming in from. It's uh, always nice to know that. I know we have a global audience. I can see Dubai, Singapore, Florida, Switzerland, uh, Italy, New York City. Amazing. So thank you, Ali Birds. Uh, we will get started with introductions and I'll go around the room in no particular order, but let us start with Alexandra. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you, Sherrod. Good morning, everyone. My name is Alexandra Whittington. I often go by Alex. It's great to join you here today. Um, as the title suggests, I'm one of four futurists that's on the show today to talk about, you know, what's unfolding, what's developing, what are we watching on the horizon? Uh, I'm a futurist at TCS, Tata Consultancy Services, and um, I have a background in um, academic futures and, of course, consulting futures, and I do some speaking and writing. I've co-authored a few books with one of our co-panelists here, uh, Mr. Talwar, and um, I am just delighted to join you guys and, and be here to share some ideas and learn from you all um, about what, what we have coming in store in 2024. Yeah, thanks, Alex. And since you mentioned Rohit, I'll come to Rohit for his introduction. Thank you, Sharad. Well, I'm also a futurist. Uh, I guess I spent the last 20 years or so working with clients around the world through a mixture of speaking, consulting, research, and book publishing. Alex and I worked together, um, I guess, for about seven years. And uh, I've done nine books on the emerging future, seven of them together with Alex. And really, as we look ahead, uh, the, the things I'm most interested in in 2024 and, and 2025 is how society really starts to adapt to the pace of change that we're seeing. It's already overwhelming for most. And whether it's governments trying to understand how to create an environment for this, how we educate ourselves to stay abreast of this, how we deal with the social ramifications, with the economic implications, and the governance issues around things like artificial general intelligence. And then how we get our heads around technologies around quantum where everyone's happy to talk about it, but very few people know what it's really gonna look like once it hits the world. Uh, so really looking forward to this conversation and the uh, immense array of expertise that's on the show today. Thanks, Rohit. Oh, and welcome to all the futurists that I could see yeah. popping up in the list is Adriana, Rock, Graham, uh, just name a few that I've just seen flick past. Yeah, and uh, since you had introduced me to David, I'm going to come to David now for his introduction. You're on mute, David. It's really good to be here. Thanks for the invite. In a way, I've been a futurist for 35 years, so I didn't know it at the time. I joined in 1988, a small group of people who had ideas about changing the future. They wanted to design personal handheld computers, which people laughed at at the time, said there's never going to be much of a market for that. But by 1996, we had sharpened our ideas and we dared to talk about a future in which smartphones would be used. It took a long time before smartphones were widely used and that's the pattern. The future arrives slowly, disappointingly, frustratingly, 
and then it changes rather remarkably quickly. So by 2010 or so on, it was clear that in due course, everybody in the world would have their lives transformed, mainly for the better, sometimes for the worse, by smartphones. But by then, I'd already decided the changes in the world would be bigger than those from smartphones. By 2008, I was running London Futurists. And in 2008, we already had meetings about reprogramming not just our silicon, our apps, but reprogramming our biology, that we would be able to change our health and our longevity. And also back in 2008, we anticipated that the AI of that time, which is very narrow, would in due course become general. And people said, you're crazy, no such thing's gonna happen. And it took a long time, and now it's happening very fast indeed. So I'm looking forward to seeing a world in which we are reprogramming our biology wisely and profoundly, and taking advantage of artificial general intelligence sooner than most people expect. Absolutely. You were right then and you are right now because I do believe technology is coming at us at the speed of thought and the only option is to embrace it. There is no other way. Let's go to my good friend in France. Laurent, please introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, thanks uh, for inviting me. Uh, good morning, good afternoon. Uh, Depends where you are, guys. Thanks for joining. Uh, hello, Antoine. Uh, he's in France. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure if I'm a futurist, but I'm uh, contributing uh, to build the future of the web since now uh, mostly 30 years. I have been uh, lucky enough to, to be early on the, all the major innovation we have seen. Uh, I have always been fascinated by uh, sci-fi, the first uh, novel I used to read uh, when I was really young was all about sci-fi, imagine, imagining what could be the world, uh, a society, humanity, and I'm really glad to uh, now uh, contribute to build the future of the web with uh, Artera, an innovative uh, layer one blockchain doing a fusion with uh, EVM and uh, the DAG uh, protocol. And, and we are bringing back the best of uh, what we all enjoy uh, actually in the web. The, the software as a service business model, we call it uh, decentralized SaaS, DSaaS. And I'm really excited to share with you and think about the future of uh, our society, humanity, innovation. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Thank you for that introduction. All right, so let's get started. Um, most of you will know that Dubai recently had hosted the largest gathering of futurists some a few weeks back. Almost 1,500 futurists from five continents descended in Dubai for two days. And this conference was held at the iconic Museum of the Future. It's that oval building you must have seen. I don't believe Anybody on this planet, unless you are living under the rock, has not seen visuals of the Museum of the Future. Am I right? I guess so. Now, what some of you might not know is that the calligraphy that you see on the facade of the Museum of the Future are actually three poems that have been penned by none other than Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, the ruler of Dubai. And I would like to read one of them, which goes like this. The future belongs to those who can imagine it, design it, and execute it. It isn't something you await, but rather create. These words I find very inspiring. And of course, there are so many other quotes, uh, you know, by His Highness. And because I've been in Dubai for 33 years, it's been a lovely ride to say the least. You, we've just all grown as the city has grown. And today it is probably the fastest growing city on the planet. Now, the future is exciting. And at the same time, it is a bit scary. Rohit, do you agree with me? What's your take on that? Absolutely. I think on the one hand, those of us that are in the field can be very excited to see how the developments we've maybe talked about for the last five to 10 years are really coming to fruition. Uh, and obviously the generative AI stuff, 
the emergence of ChatGPT has really changed everyone's perspectives on technology, and particularly on AI and how fast it can hit us. But there is also this very scary prospect for many that will move very quickly from a, a relatively narrow field of AI, which we're calling large language models, to potentially artificial general intelligence that's as smart as us in almost every domain of, of human activity through to super intelligence that becomes smarter than us. And none of us know what that could look like, but it's certainly on the one hand, very exciting, but on the other hand, quite scary as to what that could mean for humanity, how we adapt to it, how we raise people's understanding of how fast this is coming and how important it becomes to take control of our own destiny. And I'll, I'll just give you one example of, of where the fear comes from. David and I were both at a session last night about deep fakes. And there was someone talking about the use of deep fakes uh, around women and pornography. And they were telling us that there are 20 million users a day of just one of these sites that allows you to take someone's face from Facebook and put it onto a pornographic image, but it only allows you to do it for women. And so what we have to understand is that it's now very, very easy to misuse the technology. And they were actually pointing out that if you did a Google search on how do I harm my dog, Google gave you all sorts of information about why that was a bad thing and wouldn't give you any ideas. But if you say, how do I make a deep fake of this woman, it will instantly point you to the relevant sites. And so we have to start thinking very hard about issues around governance, around societal protection, and around how we make sure that the ways in which this technology comes into the marketplace is governed in a way that we still have some protection, we still have some privacy, and we still have control over our own identity in that world. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Uh, David, you are shaking your head. You want to add to that? Some people say there's nothing new here. Every bit of technology has always been a two-edged sword. When we had fire, it could keep us warm and help us cook, but it could also burn things down. Electricity could power our laptops, but it can also electrocute people. But there's something new about AI. AI is going to be more powerful than any technology we've ever had before in terms of its processing power, its intelligence, in terms of how deeply connected into our infrastructure it is. And not only is it super powerful, it's super fast. You know, when you give chat, these chatbots like GPT-4, if you give it a quite a complicated puzzle, it spits out the answer to you remarkably quickly, line after line, at the same time as it's spitting out answers to probably millions of other people simultaneously. It has such a speed. So the kinds of approaches we've taken in the past to sort of learn slowly how to deal with the problematic aspects of technology, they're not going to be enough. Because if there is a mistake, it's going to affect many more people than ever before. Potentially, in the worst case, killing hundreds of millions or even billions of people due to a bad interaction, for example, between AI and weapon systems, or a bad interaction of AI and geoengineering, or many other possibilities. So the answer is another super, not superpower, super speed, or even super intelligence. In my mind, the word, the word is super democracy or super governance. We humans are going to be challenged to be better than ever before at working together, better than ever before at reaching a collective decision, better than ever before at applying these collective decisions. And that's not in the least bit easy. Technology can help us with that, which is a positive sign. But I think one of the big questions for 2024 and the next few years is how are we actually going to have better politics than in the past, because if we don't have that better politics, better democracy, the risk is that technology will be out of control. Big tech companies will be out of control and will sadly not get the wonderful future that is possible. Yeah. Alexandra, is that also your concern that technology might outsmart us? Yeah, I do share the concerns, but I don't know if it's outsmarting us. I think um, my concern is more, you know, being able to control it how do we keep it from going rogue? You know, how do we keep it from uh, being attacked, right? Hacked, some sort of, um, you know, cyber crime being committed on AI systems 
that we don't realize is going on and and wreaking all kinds of havoc. So I think that's, you know, to me, it's not really that it can get smarter than us, although I defer to David Wood on on the technical side of AI for sure. But I do think, you know, the control issue and being able to understand what it's capable of um, is is something that, uh, you know, I don't think we're, we're keeping pace on. Um, for example, these hallucinations that come out of chat GPT, right? And I don't know if anyone remembers that video where Sophia, the, the robot, made some insane comment like I, I want to destroy humanity or something like that and the, and the operators kind of quickly shut her down you know so these things that surprise us and come out of the blue um those are kind of hints that we need to you know prepare for all possibilities and and that makes a futurist job really important to understand what are all different things that could happen that we may not uh entertain in our mind as very probable but are indeed possible yeah yeah agreed 100 percent lorette uh, you're the blockchain guy. Does technology provide a solution? Can blockchain provide a solution to us? Can it save the day? Uh, you know, I, I used to remember that uh, whatever we, we, the innovation we imagine, we design, and we de deliver, uh, first, it's, it's, uh, it's all about humans. Uh, and for me, the main challenge is how we will improve ourselves uh, individually and collectively in order to be able to be uh, as uh, agile as we are when it's, it comes to uh, innovating. We innovate uh, much faster, but we are able to redesign our organization. Good point, David. Yes, uh, we have to rethink uh, how we organize a society, uh, democracy. Uh, it, it, it's a uh, we are still uh, acting, deciding, acting uh, with a, a long cycle, and uh, we are innovating in a cycle wo which are f shorter and shorter and shorter, and the, the emergence of AI is, is radically changing the deal. And uh, the main uh, question, I say, uh, the main problem to solve, in my opinion, it's all about we, individually, as a human, and collectively, as a society, are able to adjust um, ourselves uh, as faster as uh, we innovate. And this is a real, real uh, question, because we see more and more people who are totally uh, far away from uh, being able to use what, uh, what we bring. Uh, they stay uh, on the, the side of the road, and they will be the, the one that will have to face the consequence of this innovation. Uh, just few people are really uh, able to uh, control this innovation, use it properly. <clears throat> and then yeah. the risk emerge when people don't know how to use it properly. You have uh, the example, you know, pornographic image. It's, yes, can be. But is it what we want to create individually and collectively. Yeah, totally agree with you also, Lauren. And I, if I may just add, you know, in the Web3, uh, you know, space, I think it's about decentralization. It's about power shifting from the big brands to we, the people. So I think the onus is on us. You know, it's not about the technology. It's about the people who are using it. And I think Susan has already put a comment uh, on the chat that we don't have to worry so much about the technology. We have to worry about the people who are using it or rather may misuse it. So that definitely is something to look out for. All right. Um, I want to take a deep dive into some certain topics uh, that I think will be interesting for our audience. Uh, just to give you a backstory, I happen to run a community called Meta Shapers. It's something we started about 15 months back, and it's a global community of thought leaders and, you know, in people who are... Uh, I would say, uh, shaping the narrative of the metaverse and new technologies. And we were fortunate that Rohit joined us quite recently. He's a meta shaper. And we uh, created a little booklet with, uh, I think, eight or 10 of the meta shapers uh, giving their opinion about what's going to shape 2024. And I know, Rohit, that you talked about a concept called lift, right? 
where you said that uh, managers need to have lift capabilities. Can you define for us what you mean by lift? What is that running? You're on mute, Roy. Sorry. Um, very briefly, uh, what we see is that uh, the pace of technology is moving ever faster, but it's not just technology, it's the pace of change in our world. And we see inside organizations, leaders and managers really struggling with how to make decisions about these things, how to understand them, and how to make sure that they're helping the organization move forward. And so we see four characteristics as being really important, learning at speed, innovation, foresight, and transformational thinking. And just to, to go a little bit deeper into that, we can't now wait till we go on courses or say, okay, that's an interesting idea. Let me go back and learn about that in three or four weeks time. We have to really build that DNA for micro learning. So we're giving a few minutes every day to learn about new concepts. So when someone comes to us with an idea, we're not a barrier. And it also means really driving the digital literacy and the futures literacy across the organization. Because right now you're either a digital asset to your organization or a digital liability. There isn't anything in between. And so learning becomes critical to anything. Learning's the antidote to fear. It's the antidote to any kind of reluctance to change. It's how we get through it. The second is innovation. Everyone says they're innovative, but what we find is there's still a lack of common innovation processes and tools in most organizations. So when you get into the room together to do a project, you have a common language and you agree on the process very quickly. More often than not, what we see is the big projects fail in that first meeting because everyone leaves with a different view about what they're trying to achieve and how they're going to do it. And they can't even agree on a a one-page description. So really building that common language in the organization around innovation so that we can start whatever we're doing. We don't just rush to technology. We start with the user or the customer in mind. We design around what their needs are or what we're trying to create for them and the experience we want to create. Foresight is about bringing foresight into everyday practice. So we're getting people to surface their assumptions about the future when they're doing plans, when they're starting projects. But also more broadly, we start to bring in those tools, even the most basic ones around horizon scanning and scenario planning and design thinking to start getting people really embedding what they're doing in the context of the future, not in the present or the past. And the final one is that willingness to do transformational thinking that says, what if we were starting over again? What if we were starting today? How would we do this task, this process, this product uh, or this strategy? and really being willing to let go of everything for, from the past. It doesn't mean reinventing the organization every week, but it does mean being willing to think very clearly about uh, how can we use the tech, uh, or you know, what could we do with the technology to change the way we do things, but also how might we do very different things with what the technology now enables. So that's where those four acronyms, uh, or the acronym comes from around learning, innovation, foresight, and technology. And that's very much the core of the work we're doing with organizations around the world who are building leaders who are capable of navigating their organizations through a rapidly changing reality. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I've already put a link in the chat for those who are interested in reading the MetaShapers 2024 report. Uh, feel free to download it. And uh, there are a few useful nuggets you'll find there. Uh, David, I'm going to come to you. Let's talk about being future ready. Um, what should my teenage son be studying? What should my managers be learning? What should I as the CEO of a boutique firm know to be better prepared or be future ready? David. Well, the first skill I'm going to point to is the first one that Rohit pointed to, learning. I think the most important skill today is, as I'll put in the chat, learning how to learn. Because whatever we've learned in the last year, a lot of it's still going to be relevant. A lot of it's no longer going to be relevant. And some of it needs to be unlearned. And as has been said in the past, we talk about the three R's have been important in the past, reading, writing, and arithmetic. 
we talk sometimes about video and tweeting and so on as being important now, but I think the three skills of the future are going to be unlearning re uh, and relearning as well as learning new things. And that's difficult because the pace of change is so fast. How can we do that? So the second skill is collaboration. It's figuring out who can be trusted in which particular areas. And it's not just the people who talk with the loudest voice. I admit I sometimes do have a loud voice, but that's not why you should listen to what I say. You've got to figure out at different times which are the communities to spend time with, which are the podcasts that go beyond just the relatively elementary, the relatively superficial, and truly speak to the issues that are important to you. So I'm bound to comment on the London Futurist podcast as one of many, but it's one I think that people should follow. So learning how to learn, learning how to collaborate, figuring out when partnerships have gone past their sell-by date, perhaps. And third, because this is quite disturbing and quite disruptive, it requires an emotional intelligence more than in the past. People sometimes say, yes, it's the soft skills that are important, but I think calling them soft skills is doesn't do them justice. We might call them core skills of emotional resilience, not being knocked down by uncertainty and by temporary failures, having the ability to push learnings, even learnings of failures forward, sharing them with the group so that the group can say, well, I see why you failed. Actually, if we modify your attempt in such and such a way, we could be successful after all. So these are three that I'll pick out, but Altogether, in fact, I talk in my vital syllabus project about 24 areas of skills that will be important in the future. And that does include foresight, which Rohit mentioned. It includes innovation and indeed an understanding of technology, not just at a kind of a, a coding level, but at a deeper level of where technology comes from and where it's going. Yeah. Those are very useful nuggets. Thank you, David. You know, a few years back, uh, I was telling youngsters, learn coding, it's a must. Now I'm hearing you don't have to know coding because you can talk to computers and they can just deliver. So, you know, that too is a very major change. Alex, are you hearing something similar? Like Gen AI does not necessarily need you to know coding because it's a zero code platform. Yeah, I've heard the exact same thing. And I think that's really amazing. And to t kind of touch on what the previous two speakers mentioned, education and learning is such a big part of that. Because what I see is people who uh, maybe have never tried coding or tried anything technological, just jumping in and playing with some of these AI tools to see what it's all about. And I think that there's something engaging about being able to talk to a robot, as you said, or talk to a computer to be able to code something. So I think it's, um, you know, a, a new level of that, uh, what, what you might call soft skills, right? Relational skills. How do you relate to an AI? How do you talk to a chatbot? How do you uh, achieve what you want to achieve? That may be some, uh, there may be some learning there, right? How, how to converse and express yourself. Uh, so I think that learning and relationships are a big uh, plus when it comes to negotiating this new um, technology that's so so prevalent. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, you want to add to what skills we need to uh, be looking at to be future ready? You are on mute. Sorry, uh, I was thinking in the same time of thanks, Alexandra. Uh, I just want to, to, to say a word. Uh, you know, I use ChatGPT like a lot of people. And uh, by the past, I, 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 I spent uh, some time to, uh, to write some, uh, some uh, letter to my soul. It was my uh, my personal moment and no I, I I keep having this kind of moment with chat GPT telling considering I'm not talking to chat GPT I'm talking to my soul and uh, having the same relation with myself because in fact uh, what what I, I, which advice I could give the same I, I I'm sharing with people since uh, years considering that everything is a perpetual experimentation. So keep experimenting. Um, try to develop a contrarian point of view, questioning everything. 
uh, you know, we are in the society, in my point of view, where we uh, admit too easily. Uh, that's it. It's like this. And by the time we discover that we were collectively wrong, I think we, we should keep this uh, distance be between what could be real today and what we will consider real tomorrow. Um, introducing more temporality between uh, uh, um, what we design and when it will become um, efficient, authentic, and real. I will give you an example. <clears throat> In the crypto, blockchain, web-free uh, ecosystem, we are, a lot of people are talking about the, 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 the real moment for Bitcoin. And now the current narrative, it's all about BlackRock and, and so on, who will uh, launch a Bitcoin ETF. Personally, I say, guys, no, you are totally, totally wrong. The, the real moment will be when the last Bitcoin uh, will, will be minted in 2150 something. Uh, you know, but we are not able to, to, to think with uh, such temporality. Okay, could you imagine we are building something that will have some effect, benefit, maybe in one, one century? We, as a human, it's not uh, like, like we used to act. So being able also to come back to the essence of life, you know, uh, building what I built, Artera, I have been fully inspired by uh, the, the permaculture principle, observing the nature and we, we know nothing uh, about the magic of life and we still think that we are great. Uh, I think there is still a lot to, to, to learn and uh, to come back uh, to a certain modesty uh, and having, uh, introducing, uh, you know, um, long-term vision, not trying to get a result right now, but starting to, to plant seed to get some results uh, in decades to improve uh, the future. We are trying to do now, thinking the future is now. It's, it's common, we hear this everywhere, the future is now. Guys, no, the future is in the future <laughs> and will always be in the future. So let's keep realistic, uh, honest. Uh, I think we, we, we have to come back also uh, to our core uh, uh, system of value, our uh, system of thinking. Uh, we don't change at all. We just reproduce what what has been by the past. You know, I often mention uh, Gustave Le Bon, uh, crowd, uh, psychology of masses. Uh, it's an essay written 150 years ago by a French philosopher. Read it today and you say, guys, where are you? I want to meet you, you know. And in the same time, it's it's impressive. And in the same time, it's confusing to have to assume that we haven't changed one iota in our behavior collectively. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, uh, Roy, do you have your hand up? Yeah, uh, Lauren brought up the point about um, what happens with Bitcoin next year. And I think it's really interesting that there's been so much focus on AI in particular and then quantum and could next year be the year where we start to do something meaningful with quantum. Uh, but really crypto next year is also going to go through a major transformation when we see these ETFs launch here. And there's, I've seen on another dialogue this whole conversation about two possibilities. One is the idea of the derivatives market getting hold of it and the short sellers. And could that have some really unintended or unexpected consequences for Bitcoin uh, as there's no one who actually runs it, unlike something like GameStop, where there, there is a, a board, if you like, a company that's running it. Um, and, and not really knowing how the community might respond or what happens if all the Bitcoin that's available gets bought up and all new Bitcoin gets bought up uh, by those ETFs and the derivatives players around it. And the second aspect is whether governments would step in because of the rush to Bitcoin as markets get more volatile, as economies get more volatile. Again, would you start to see government step in, a bit like the US government did in the 1920s when it said it 
it wanted to seize everyone's gold assets. Could we see government step in and basically say we want to seize everyone's crypto? So there's some, I think, some really interesting uncertainties, lots of views, no, no guarantees. But as much as we've got our focus on AI in particular, I think this whole crypto field and, and the way regulation and you know, like new forms of marketization could have a massive disruptive effect. Yes, uh, David. So the suggestion is that 2024 may be more the year of crypto or the year of Bitcoin or the year of quantum. I'm going to suggest that 2024 is going to be the year of AI. We're going to have more AI breakthroughs in 2024 than there's been in 2023, and it's going to be more disruptive of what's happened. And one of the reasons people are interested in quantum is the potential of quantum computing to make all the secure data in messages that's been shared over the years and a lot of the coins protected by private keys. Quantum suggests that if it works, then that's all going to be vulnerable. Well, I have to say, AI, without relying on quantum computing, might get there first because there's already suggestions that breakthroughs inside OpenAI, their so-called QSTAR initiative, they may have discovered some holes in the mathematical algorithms that are used for various kinds of encryption. AES is one of them. And the possibility is that the fears of people worried about what quantum computing will do, they may turn out to be manifest, not because of quantum computing breakthroughs, but because of AI breakthroughs. So I predict the biggest breakthroughs in 2024, by some way, will be in multiple fields of AI. And we've got to get ready for it. We need to get our heads around it. Yes, and I think we are having an information overload. I call it TMI, too much information. So uh, my take is that 2024 will be a year for digital detox. Alex, what do you think? Are we in an information overload situation already? You know, I, I have to say, you know, there, <laughs> there's a lot of information out there and it is overwhelming. Uh, that's why, you know, as a futurist, I try to use this uh, skill, I guess, this activity that we do called horizon scanning uh, or environmental scanning, which is we're always kind of looking out to see what's new, what's, what's uh, you know, hitting up on our radar to let us know something's changing. Um, and so if you have a systematic way of processing information, as futurists tend to do, as part of our day to day, it's a little bit easier to manage. But uh, I would say for you know the typical person, especially someone who doesn't work in a technology field or maybe doesn't have a lot of experience, it can be really overwhelming. So I think that we should be considerate of populations and groups, individuals who uh, may be at a disadvantage, and this feels you know like something that that they need help with, that they need to um, have you know, some learning, some education, some training, essentially. So I think that's why it's so important, um, again, coming back to learning, to help people understand what they're facing and sort that signal from the noise, because we do know, uh, you know, it's pretty obvious that a lot of what, what you hear on social media or on LinkedIn, uh, it's, um, it may not be as accurate as we would hope, or it may not rely, you know, pertain to your particular situation. Right. Alex, just some feedback. Your uh, audio is cracking a bit, so you might want to plug in again uh, just so we can hear you uh, clearly. Uh, Lauren, I need your advice on work-life balance because I am struggling. Last two years, I did 10 to 12 Zoom meetings a day, back to back, and uh, one quarter back had a complete burnout, like meltdown. What is your advice for people like me who are always on in this new creator economy? Uh, <laughs> I have to assume that it's, 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 it's a perpetual question. I'm the same. Uh, last few months have been totally crazy. Uh, An intensity I have never been able to experiment before. 100 meetings per week, uh, we decided to, to, to go fast. 
Why? Because everything is uh, now uh, should be uh, instantly ready. <clears throat> and uh, I, I, I try to keep a particular moment. I still have my uh, ritual on Saturday morning. As I told you the first time we met, I read again the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper, not like an amazing uh, piece of innovation, but like an um, invitation to have a philosophical moment uh, to, to, to take some distance with uh, uh, this perpetual instantaneity. Uh, everything should go fast. Uh, we all expect uh, immediate uh, result. I, I, I go back to, to the reality, nature, you know, plant a seed and just tell to the seed that now you want a tree. It doesn't work like this. Uh, we, we, we can innovate as fast as we, we want. We will all, always uh, face this basic uh, life, magic of life reality. And I invite each one to, to find uh, uh, this personal moment where you can take a distance between uh, what we all uh, design as the current reality and the reality we want to design and to deliver for the future. Um, not expecting immediate results always. Uh, you can't build Apple, Amazon, great innovation. Uh, if you have a short-term vision, you have to think uh, for the long run. And uh, nature is really inspiring uh, for this. Yeah. All right. Thanks, uh, Rohit. Um, what are you working on these days and uh, what are some of the takeaways uh, that you'd like to share with our audience? We are nearing like last 15 minutes for this uh, conversation. So I'm going to go to each one of you with uh, the closing thoughts that you'd like uh, to leave our audience with. And we'll then take a couple of questions that I've received already from the audience. So Rohit, what are you working on? What's your latest project? Is there another book that you are writing? Please share with us. Uh, on the book, yeah, we've had a book on the stacks for some time around 50 scenarios for the next 50 years. Uh, the hope is to get that one out sometime by the middle of next year. Uh, and I know some of the contributors are probably laughing uh, because they've set chapters in for that. Uh, right now, the, the dominant conversation everywhere we go is about AI and just organizations struggling with how to bring AI in and the traditional kind of IT approach of validating everything and integrating it into the core stack. And then on the other hand, the tools almost evolving every week. So every week you see lists of the 10 best text to video tools and they change the whole time. So one of the big things is how you get core IT functions to change the way they think and to transform their thinking so they can differentiate between what is the core stack of applications and infrastructure and how do we evolve that faster? But secondly, how do we differentiate between the new sets of tools that our users want to adopt and those that we might want to keep for three to six months? So let's say our meeting recording tool or our work management tool, but we know we might evolve that in six months time. And then the things that are literally throwaway, our text-to-video tool that doesn't really touch our core data, why would we stop the users from changing that all the time? And it's learning how as IT to manage that and differentiate between this and how to put the right kind of security around the tools that do use corporate data. And so it's all of that piece, which is, if you like, the boring dishwashing behind all of the sexy AI apps. And then the final thing that I guess everyone is currently working on is the sort of lift-like models of how do we embed learning, innovation, foresight, and transformational thinking into our day-to-day -day work. So those are the things that I'm really focused on, um, plus yeah. uh, buying my kids Christmas presents for, for Monday. Absolutely. Yeah, so David, I'm going to come to you. Uh, talk to us a little about different books that you authored and what they're about and which one do you recommend we should start first with, David? Well, I want to talk about 2024 being the year of the mouse, possibly the longest lived mouse ever. 
And this ties in with a number of the books I've written, including the most recent one, The Death of Death, which I co-authored with Jose Cordero, and an earlier one called The Abolition of Aging. I believe if we use technology wisely, we can reprogram our biology or our epibiology. We can have uh, nanobots uh, undoing the damage. And to get there, there will be intermediate steps. And one of them is a set of experiments that I am quite closely involved with taking place in New York State. There are 1,000 mice who were initially middle-aged mice that is about 55 years old in human terms. And they were given a variety of treatments, each of which has been known to extend the lives of middle-aged mice by maybe 5 or 10%. And we want to see what combinations of these treatments will have the biggest impact. So it's quite likely that by the end of this year, when the project will have been running for nearly two years, by the end of 2024, that is, we might have had the longest lived mouse ever. And why is that important? It's going to make people say, oh, my goodness, I didn't know this kind of thing was possible. You have doubled the remaining life of a middle-aged mammal. And they might be middle-aged humans. And they're going to start saying, where is that treatment for humans, please? And they're going to get their governments to put more of their research and funding into the underlying causes and treatments of aging. That is one of the things I'm working on, and I predict more people will understand it. For more about that, look at DublinLongevityDeclaration.org. That's the big picture. Or for just about the mouse project, look at LEVF.org. That's Longevity Escape Velocity Foundation.org. Thank you. Thank you, David. Uh, I mean, I believe in transhumanism. And part of transhumanism means that, you know, believe in technology that it will solve all problems on the planet including the fact that we could live to be 150 years on the average if we could slow down the process of aging. It's not rocket science, it's common sense. All right, uh, I'm going to go to Alex now for her takeaways. What are you up to? What would you like to share with our audience? Alex, over to you. Thanks, Sharon. Um, yeah, well, I mean, going to 2024, I'm looking at some, um, what I'm calling resolutions. We talk about New Year's resolutions every year, but this time what I'm referring to is resolving some of the uncertainties that have been persisting for some time. So I'm talking about 2024 potentially being a time where we come to some uh, resolution on things like geoengineering, which was mentioned earlier. Uh, it's a trend that's been around for some time. Maybe this is a year where we have that kind of breakthrough discovery that determines whether geoengineering is a solution or more of a, um, you know, a fantasy of what we can do to address climate change. Um, another one that I'm interested in in 2024 is these big smart cities that are being built around the world, these huge sort of utopian cities like Neom. I think that we may be at a tipping point on the smart city movement that has been growing for some time. Maybe in 2024, we'll see, you know, a, a, a resolution in some way, whether smart cities are going to be the way of the future or if they're really just too high tech and potentially to um, add conflict with some of our sustainability goals. Um, a lot of them try to be very sustainable, like NEOM, but there's this kind of tension there because obviously um, Saudi Arabia, which is sponsoring NEOM, is a big fossil fuel economy. So can we work through those tensions where we have the old ways trying to uh, mesh with the new ways? So I, I'm curious to see how the next coming years uh, shake out in terms of things like engineering and smart cities. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, before I come to you, Lauren, uh, one question that I'm asked very often, uh, and that's because uh, I'm in the field of metaverse now for the last two years, uh, people often ask, when will mass adoption of metaverse happen? I mean, has AI hijacked, uh, you know, uh, metaverse and everything else uh, that was happening at the speed of light? Uh, so I believe... Um, uh, when some very unique game-changing applications, you know, see the light, and I'm talking about healthcare, okay? Uh, I happen to be working with a company out of Milan, Italy, that is working on the metaverse of senses, 
which means that you will be able to smell coffee in the metaverse. And this can have large implications. If you just look at the healthcare industry, every organ in our body emits a particular kind of smell, our liver, our kidney, etc. So doctors will be able to diagnose with 90% accuracy remotely the state of our organs. This, I believe, can be a game changer. This can lead to mass adoption. So we all have to be looking for applications that uh, will, you know, have, uh, what should I say, a game-changing effect, a life-changing effect. And we need to identify such projects. We need, and luckily, you know, this particular project is being led by a Gen Z. Uh, and I like to always give him a shout out. His name is Alistair Pornico. He's a 21-year-old. Uh, he knows neuroscience. He knows coding. And I brought him to Dubai a couple of times and he's spoken to large audiences. These are the kind of people uh, we need to be promoting. We need to be talking to, mentoring, guiding, etc. Because these youngsters, I believe, are going to play an important role uh, in uh, shaping our future, not to take away anything from David and Rohit and Alex and Lauren in the room. But I think we have to be on the lookout for these Gen Zs who I believe will shape the future. I'm going to bounce back to Lauren. And uh, Lauren, what would you like to say finally as your outlook for 2024? Where should we be looking at? And what is the near future that we can anticipate? So I, I will have a several level layer answer. First of all, uh, people will be able to enjoy a new web-free experience uh, with what we bring with Artera, being agnostic in terms of uh, user onboarding, uh, not forcing each one to first create a web-free wallet to store your private key to buy crypto first. If people want to create an account uh, using their social logging email and so on, they will be uh, free to do it. Uh, bringing a subscription-based model in Web3 will change radically the way uh, where people will be able to make a try. Bringing new use cases, not focus on only the financial aspect. <clears throat> DeFi, uh, the decentralized finance is a great uh, innovation, but there is much more to do in terms of decentralization. Uh, uh, Antoine, who is there, uh, is building a, a tool to offer a simple way to any uh, Adobe uh, uh, Photoshop user to certify their work on chain in one click with no web-free wallet, with no crypto, because they can use the Artera uh, uh, model, subscription-based. So it's a uh, innovation abstraction for the end user. So I'm really excited to bring this uh, in Web3. Uh, at a uh, human level, I, I hope that uh, we, we will come back to the roots. Uh, it's great to innovate, to think about the future, but in my point of view, uh, too often, we don't think about the consequence of what we are doing. Uh, we are uh, focused on short term. Um, uh, it's great to be able to improve the longevity, uh, but for most, a lot of people, I ask myself what they will do with uh, more year to live uh, if you don't uh, first give a sense to your life. So in parallel, I would like to, to engage people. Let's improve what we, we can, innovating but also in the same time, a dual movement. Let's try also to improve our thinking, our human relation. When we look all around, guys, there is so many contrarians, things happening constantly. What can we do in the same time, innovating, improving a lot of solving a lot of problems, but maybe also trying to improve the world humanity behavior uh, individually, collectively. So it's uh, what I hope to see and emerging more massively. I, I, I wish to be able to participate to this mass adoption. Yeah, and, uh, 
Yeah, Lauren, I share the same vision. And if I may add to that, uh, this is my own story. Uh, last uh, November, I think, when ChatGPT and let's say Gen AI became a thing, my company produced a document called Top 50 Gen AI Tools. Every month we have updated this. And two weeks back, we put out a report which said 600 AI Gen Tools. Before I came in for this webinar, my team said they are already working on 700 AI tools, right? This is the way the industry is growing. It's on steroids. Now, I did a deep dive on some of these softwares. By deep dive, I, I mean, I actually went to 500 of these different websites and I looked at their pricing model. And this is what I learned. They are all offering SaaS models. Average subscription is $20 a month. This is the way for mass adoption. You don't have to pay $2,000 or $20,000 like you had to in old times to access software that could change your life. It's just about $20. And my prediction for 2024 and beyond is that this will come down to $9.99 and one day even less. So democratization of information is the way forward for mass adoption. And I think this is working rather well. So all of us in this room, and one thing I may point out in case you didn't notice, we've had 66 people in the room for the last 30 minutes. It's not dipped. So we have stickiness. We have an audience that's listening to us. And I want to applaud our audience for staying with us throughout the session. And yeah, so we are now just two minutes away from signing off. And this is the time when I give each one of my panelists 30 seconds each for just your, literally your closing thoughts before we wind up for today. Let me start with Alex. Alex, 30 seconds. Closing, I would say keep learning, keep experimenting, ask questions, challenge your assumptions, and uh, don't assume anything is true when it comes to how the future unfolds. Correct. Rohit. Uh, I'd say we're all advancing our own learning, but what are you doing to advance the learning of the people around you from your oldest living relative to a friend that you think is stuck in the past? What can we do to help our ecosystem advance? Yeah, so I did have a conversation with my mother, who's 82 years old, and it, somehow she asked me, what is Gen AI? Can you explain to me? And I told her, mom, if you open your refrigerator and take a photograph, Gen AI will tell you what you can cook with the vegetables that you have in the fridge. And she said, wow. And then she thought for a while and said, this is all very good. But who is going to actually cook those dishes? So I think, uh, yeah, that's where we are at today. Uh, David, your takeaways. Final 30 seconds, please, David. The thing I'm sorry we didn't get round to discuss is the question that Stephen Lichte put in the Q&A, which says that it's all very well, rich people talking about, imagine the future, design it, execute it when in fact there may be many reasons why people's aspirations can't easily be met. Sometimes it's a lack of science and technology. Sometimes the understanding of science and technology is naive, but as Stephen and also Isabel point out rightly in the Q&A, it's often politics that gets in the way. People are being held up by dysfunctional power structures in society as well as other things. And so my motto, which I now post on my Twitter bio, is not just HAHAC, Honest Acceleration, it's also UPOL, Uplift Politics. Unless we have what I have called earlier, super democracy, we're going to leave a lot of people behind and it's going to be terrible. Thank you. Lauren, 30 seconds and we close. Yes, uh, uh, dare to keep experimenting life, uh, push the limits, uh, dream, create, uh, dare to face any difficulties, trust in yourself, trust in the magic of life, and, uh, and you will see uh, 
but everything is uh, possible if you just put the right energy at the right moment. Yes, trust in the magic of life. What a great thought uh, to end this uh, webinar on. And my 30 seconds, uh, Alvin Toffler said it best, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. I think these words still hold true. And on that note, I want to thank the audience for investing their 60 minutes with us today. Uh, we've had a lot of fun and I'm sure uh, we've learned a lot. And on a housekeeping note, uh, a recording of this webinar along with the podcast will be available tomorrow, same time at onlywebinars.com to share it with as many people as you can, with your friends, your family, your colleagues. Let this be the Christmas gift that you share with everybody that you know. And the next webinar will be on 21st and 22nd February, two days Meta Shapers Global Summit. Join us then. And I want to thank finally Rohit, David, Laurent, Alex for being our four panelists today. Thank you, audience, for staying with us throughout the season. Bye for now. Thank you, Sharad, thank, for hosting thank us. You, thank, thank you, Thank you so all. much. It's been amazing. Bye -bye. Love you all. <laughs> Bye.